0: Hi! You're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff.
1: And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about how blind and low-vision players have an edge when it comes to certain games with Cornell University professor Andrew Campana. You'll also learn about how some viruses actually protect their hosts and the maddening puzzle known as the Monty Hall problem.
0: Let's satisfy some curiosity.
1: Yesterday, Andrew Campana told us about how blind developers are creating audio games for blind and low vision players. Today, he's going to tell us how those blind and low vision players actually have an advantage when it comes to games like these, not to mention plenty of other tasks. Andrew Campana is an assistant professor of modern and contemporary Japanese literature in the Department of Asian Studies at Cornell University, and he's been researching how communities of blind and low vision players stay in the game. Check out our conversation.
0: Has there been any kind of research into sighted players' ability to play these games versus players with vision impairment?
2: Yeah, absolutely. A lot of your listeners will have heard of the phenomenon of neuroplasticity, where different parts of the brain can basically be reprogrammed to do different things. And uh, for a lot of blind players in particular, their brains have been reprogrammed to sort of experience sound and touch in ways that are quite different from sighted people. So uh, a lot of blind people when using computers use uh, a thing called screen readers, which read the text aloud, but often they put the speed at 400 to 600 words per minute, which to most sighted people is uh, literally incomprehensible, just sounds like a blur of sound. But if your brain gets remapped in a certain way, suddenly it's totally understandable as text, whereas when you talk, it's like 130 words per minute, not 600. So uh, there's similar phenomena in gameplay where... Uh, A blind player of an audio game is getting so much more information at any given point than the average sighted player. But as uh, even people who aren't used to audio games, if you practice enough, uh, your brain sort of gets used to it. And uh, what seemed like totally impossible at first, maybe an hour in, suddenly uh, you're thinking of things totally differently and you can really imagine where you are and what you're doing at any given time.
0: That is really cool, though, that certain people would have an edge because their brains have literally been remapped to be better at that type of game. Super yeah. fascinating. Yeah. And, uh, and I've got to ask, how about, you know, we've got screens, we've got audio, and uh, those have been around for a long time. But there's, there's so much more to video gaming now these days, especially since like the Wii with motion controls and, um, as you kind of mentioned, VR. So uh, what kind of newer technology is being utilized to add more interactivity? Are we really
2: primarily focused on audio or are there other things being explored? Uh, There are definitely other things being explored. So that that Shadow Ryan game from Japan, it comes in an audio form, but it also comes in a tactile form. So they developed a screen that's sort of like a braille screen where everything that you play becomes raised on these dots on this little sort of machine so you can feel what you're playing as you play. It's a pretty amazing piece of technology. It's only in Japan right now, but I hope it, it really spreads because it means that blind and deafblind players everywhere could play some really interesting things, but even virtual reality is being adapted into the audio sphere to be more accessible because uh, virtual reality has built into it a lot of cool 3D sound technology. So one of the most popular audio games of the last year in Japan was one where there's a mosquito somewhere in the room and you have to catch it and you can imagine (laughs) we've all been through that experience, you know, trying to sleep and then you realize there's an intruder, but to turn that into a game was really clever and creative uh, use of virtual reality.
1: Again, that was Andrew Campana, an assistant professor of modern and contemporary Japanese literature in the Department of Asian Studies at Cornell University. You can find a link to more from Andrew in the show notes.
0: I think it's safe to say that for the last year, we've all had viruses on our minds. Now, it's easy to think of viruses as ruthless pathogens bent on global domination. But you know what? That's not always the case. Some viruses actually protect their hosts. For example, the turnip mosaic virus is a common virus that infects, well, turnips and other garden veggies. And scientists recently discovered that this virus will either help or harm its host depending on the weather. If the host is dealing with a drought, then this virus will shift gears and help the plants trigger genes that assist with conserving water. Experiments have shown that this virus significantly improves the chance that an affected plant will survive a drought. It's a virus that doesn't kick its host while it's down. This goes against what we think we know about viruses, doesn't it? But this type of thing is a lot more common than you might think. For example, human mucus is full of viruses called bacteriophages, Bacteriophages are viruses that specifically target bacteria, and you are full of bacteriophages laying in wait to pounce on invading bacteria and stop harmful infections. Think of it as immune system outsourcing. Some viruses even help protect us from other viruses. Believe it or not, non-symptomatic herpes viruses have been shown to help white blood cells identify and fight off cancer cells. And even other viruses. Some viruses have even been shown to lengthen the lives of patients infected with HIV by blocking the receptors that HIV uses to enter cells. Now, this knowledge isn't all new. Scientists have known about the therapeutic potential of viruses for more than 90 years. Bacteriophages, or phages as the cool kids call them, have been used to treat staph, salmonella, and dysentery. Early on, scientists had to collect phages from natural sources, like dirt and sewage, and even infected patients in order to use them therapeutically. Now we can engineer them specifically to fight infections. Even viruses can be our friends. I guess COVID-19 didn't get the memo. Today on Curiosity Daily, behind door number one, there was a story about audio games. Door number two... A story about benevolent viruses. What's behind door number three, you might ask? Well, somewhat appropriately, a story about the Monty Hall problem. This is one of our favorite stories from 2018, but I can't promise you'll love it as much as we do. Buckle up because it's time for some mathematical mischief. The Monty Hall problem is a
1: probability puzzle that might make you mad. Get ready for a statistics lesson.
0: I'm getting ready for angry emails. Yeah, I was hesitant to even run this story on the podcast.
1: The thing is that when this was originally published, it was answered by one of the smartest women in mathematics in the entire world. And she got like 10,000 letters of hate mail about her answer.
0: Yeah, it's a frustrating problem. But I promise you what we're reporting is right.
1: Absolutely. You can check other sources. It is true. So... Monty Hall was the host of a game show called Let's Make a Deal from 1963 to 1986. And here is how the Monty Hall problem goes. Monty Hall presents you with three doors. One, he says, has a car behind it, which you'll win if you pick it. The other two doors are hiding live goats, which mean you win nothing. Monty Hall asks you to pick a door. Let's say you go with door number one. He doesn't open that door yet, though. Instead, he opens door number three to reveal a goat. So you know that between door number one, which you picked, and door number two, which you didn't, one has a car and the other one has a goat. Now you get the chance to either stick with your choice of door or switch to door number two. Should you switch? The seemingly obvious answer is that it doesn't matter. You've got a 50-50 shot at winning the car either way. The correct answer, though, is that you should absolutely switch. The key to this puzzle is to realize that it's not truly random. Monty Hall knows which door contains the car, and he's not going to open it until the end of the game. Think of it this way. Before you choose a door, there's a one out of three chance that any one of them contains the car. But once you choose door number one and Monty Hall opens door number three to reveal that it doesn't contain the car, door number two's chances shoot up to two-thirds. Remember, there's probably something special about door number two that led him not to open it. Here's a different way to break it down. So three things could happen if you choose door number one. If the car is in door number one and you switch to door number two, then you lose. If the car is in door number two and you switch to door number two, then you win.
0: So sort of those two options. You win one and you lose one.
1: Right. Now, here's the third option. Let's say the car is in door number three and Monty Hall opens door number two to reveal a goat. Now, in this case, if you switch to door number three, then you win. So overall, switching wins you the car two out of three times.
0: It's weird. You're right. The mathematician's right. But it
1: still doesn't make intuitive sense. No. There's a great number file video that explains all of this, and you can see that we will link to in the show notes.
0: Let's recap what we learned today, starting with the fact that blind and low vision players are often a lot better at playing audio games and understanding other audio information than sighted people. Part of this is because of neuroplasticity, which lets our brains adapt to the needs around us. And games designed for and by blind and low-vision people are using new technologies, from virtual reality with 3D sounds to screens that literally produce Braille on them while a person is playing. Innovation in the gaming space to increase accessibility is incredible. My granddad was on his retirement home's Wii Bowling League.
1: That's awesome.
0: It was so cool because he could use the Wii remote, which is the controller you would use for the Wii, which is like a few ounces. It's not, you know, a heavy thing. Cordless, like, like a remote control, basically, if you're not familiar. And so, yeah, all these older retired folks that would maybe have trouble with an actual bowling ball to play Wii bowling. It was, just, it was just like, I don't know. It made me really happy.
1: Yeah, I think that's awesome. And it's also pushing the boundaries of what games in general can do, you know? When you make something more accessible to one community, you're just pushing what's possible and making video games better for everybody. And we learned that some viruses protect their hosts and even have therapeutic uses. Viruses called bacteriophages actually target bacteria and can stop harmful infections. And some viruses actually protect us from other viruses. See, viruses aren't all bad. Just COVID-19 needs to go away. That's all. that'd be nice.
0: We also learned that the Monty Hall problem is a counterintuitive statistics puzzle that might have broken your brain. Basically, if you pick one of three doors and one of the other doors is revealed to be the wrong door, then you have a higher chance of picking the right door if you switch your choice to that other door you didn't pick. Because switching gives you a two-thirds chance of picking the right door versus the one-third chance from sticking to your original choice. It's not 50-50. However, Ashley and I have a 100% chance of getting at least one angry email or tweet about this. Actually, did we get any angry messages from the first time we ran this? I don't remember, but I feel like every time I run this,
1: I do my own little Facebook post or tweet and it gets so much conversation and uh, it's just really fun to think about. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes people just get really angry.
0: (laughs) Also, I have to mention, Let's Make a Deal was my favorite game show growing up. And when I was little, I wanted to be a game show host when I grew up. So I was super into Let's Make a Deal, $100,000 Pyramid with Dick Clark, The Price is Right with Bob Barker, Press Your Luck, Big Money, No Whammy. (laughs) That was so good. Yeah. Game shows. I am all about game shows. Yeah. I feel like radio and podcast hosts
1: is not that far from game show hosts. So it seems like you went down a pretty uh, expected path there.
0: Yeah. And it's funny because you do the trivia segment on our show. Right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What if you did it? You're like, like, just put, I don't, yeah, it'd be interesting to see Cody, the game show host on trivia. We got to try that.
0: I'm just going to leave it to you. Today's stories were written by Cameron Duke and Ashley Hamer with script and audio editing by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily.
1: Curiosity Daily is produced and edited by Cody Goff.
0: Join us again tomorrow for Curiosity Daily, starring podcasting's big dealer, Ashley Hamer, to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious.